0: James chapter 1. We're going through James line by line, sentence by sentence, paragraph by paragraph, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And today we're wrapping up chapter 1 and starting chapter 2. We're calling the series James Fixes for Fruitful Faith. In terms of fixes, we think of repairs, but in the world of navigation, You need a fix for where you're heading. You have to have a fix for where you are. You have to fix your location. Your GPS won't work in your car or on your phone unless it knows where you are. And so this book locates where we are. Man, it hits you between the eyes, doesn't it? But then it points the way. Like the mirror mentioned the last time I spoke, verse 22, the next to the last paragraph in chapter 1. says the word is like a mirror. It shows us what we are and then how to make changes. And so today, I just want to read verse 16 because it kind of opens the theme. Uh, Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Jump to verse 26. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his own heart. This one's religion is useless. Now, the word religion gets a bad rap because of all the fake religion out there, all the man-made religion out there. But if it's pure religion, it's a good word. It was popular a few years ago to say, I'm not religious. I'm spiritual. Well, the word religious relates to the word worship, pious, devout, It's not a bad word if it's true religion according to the Scriptures. So let's um, make our values and identity align with Scripture. Can I get an amen? If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit... Orphans and widows in their trouble, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. So we see four things that good religion does for us it bridles our tongue, helps us bridle our tongue, helps us to minister to the fatherless and the widows in their trouble, help them out, and to keep ourselves unspotted. From this world. Who knows The world will put a stain on you. The next sentence, which those that added chapters and verses determined to make a break there, but the thought is still continuing. Keep oneself unspotted from the world. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, a Lord of glory. Keep in mind, this is his half-brother writing this. He's got a revelation of who his brother is. Do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality, with favoritism, with respect of persons, with prejudice. The Bible says that God has no respect of persons. And on judgment day, you're not going to get respect because of who your daddy is or what you did in the world you have a relationship with Him? Have you been washed in the blood of the Lamb? And here is what was happening in the church then, and it happens in the church now. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings in fine apparel, the King James says gay clothes, And there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, unclean clothes, tattered clothes, what are you saying? And you pay attention to the one wearing the gay clothes, the fine clothes, and say to him, you sit here in a good place. And say to the poor man, you stand there. Now the word he uses there for assembly, keep in mind he's writing to the 12 tribes of Israel. He's writing to them because they attend synagogue, If there comes in your synagogue someone dressed up fancy, the jewelry and everything, and someone not so dressed, and you have the well-dressed person sit in the good place in the synagogue, and the person that's embarrassing, you have them stand somewhere. You stand over there. Or sit here at my footstool. Here, I'll give up my footstool. You can sit here on the ottoman. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Evil thoughts. Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to us from your word in such a way that we examine ourselves in the mirror of Scripture and that we make adjustments to our life by your grace where we'll never be the same again. In Jesus' name, amen. Today, I'd like to talk to you on practicing pure religion. Yeah, maybe you were going to say, I'm never going to use the word religion again, but I want to bring it back. I want to live a biblical life. Who wants to live a biblical life? So just because somebody did you wrong or did somebody wrong that has your last name, are you going to go get your name changed? (laughs) No. You're going to live a life that redeems the value of that name in the people's lives. If your name is rare, it's even more important. So... The word religion is not a bad word if it's pure religion. What we must know in order to not be deceived by being religious. What we must know in order to not be deceived by being religious. Now, what gives religion a bad name is people put on spiritual acts. You can say you're not religious and you're spiritual and do the same thing. You still want to dodge the issue. It's called hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is the problem, not pure religion. Fake religion is a problem, not pure religion. Belittling others is the problem. Being judgmental and harsh on other people, that's the problem. Pointing out everybody else's faults, being the fault finder for the world and not looking at yourself, that's the problem. Narcissism is the problem, not pure religion. So how to be devout, how to be pious, how to be spiritual, and not be deceived. When Yvette called her father, because she was concerned for his soul, he said, I give my 5% twice a year. I never miss Easter or Christmas. What's the problem? I've got the religious base covered. He was religious, but it wasn't pure religion. It wasn't devout devoted to the Lord. And so that kind of thinking could exist here even at Generations Church. Well, I go to Generations every Sunday morning. Who cares how I live Saturday night? As long as I make it there and do my God thing, I'm covered. That's man-made religion. Pure religion is wholly devoted to the Lord 24-7. Can I get an amen? So our opening verse today was if anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. If you talk like a saint on Sunday and a sailor on Saturday, God beholds our lives as a whole, right? What do you get when you mix salt water with fresh water? salt water, brackish water at best, but water that's not pure. So our words of worship get mixed in with our words at work. Our words of worship get mixed in with our words of worship, And if the two are different, guess which one's getting contaminated? So our religion is doing us no good if it's not impacting our life. So I'm not here to condemn anybody, but it's a call to repentance. If the shoe fits... Put it on. Watching what we say is an absolute must. Think before I speak. And walking what we say is an absolute must. If I make a promise, I need to carry it out. And if this rattles anyone's chains that relate to me, come talk to me so I can apologize make things right. So we can't write checks with our mouths that our lives won't cash. It's meaningless words. It makes your witness weak and your walk look fake. He's got religion all right, but not the pure religion. David prayed in Psalm 141, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. The word tongue also means language. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his language, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. So, we had a member that doesn't attend here anymore, that got a bad witness when someone who knew him from his job came here and said, that guy, I didn't even know he even went to church. His mouth ruined his witness. That's not why he doesn't attend here anymore. What do I say in those cases? You have to talk to him. Verse 27, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit widows and orphans in their trouble. We are called, if you read Proverbs, you'll see, we are called to care for widows, orphans, and disaster victims. And according to Paul's instructions in the epistles of the New Testament, widows, if they have families, the families have to step up. But if they don't have families, the church really has to step up. And Paul actually said to Timothy, widows that are under 60, they need to step up. The widows do. So the elderly widows are really someone that needs care for. So what is a disaster? A disaster could be divorce, could be a tornado, could be a flood, could be a storm. We have to take care of them, do our part. Now, also according to Proverbs, there are sluggards and slothful people. We don't have to do much for them because Paul wrote, if a man won't work, he shouldn't eat. So we want to err on the side of mercy. If we want to have pure and undefiled religion, we can't be legalistic in this. We got to be generous and err on the side of mercy, but be wise, lest, lest the crooked take advantage of our resources that could go to a better person a better issue a more needy person that makes sense helping the needy shows our love for them we're supposed to love everybody right james says later on uh, if we tell the needy person be warm be filled and don't lift a finger to help them what is that that's emptiness that's empty religion Helping the needy shows our love for God. They're created in God's image. If we love him, we'll love them. Jesus in Matthew 25. Jesus said, I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you visited me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was hungry and you gave me food on judgment day. And the sheep will say, when did we See you like this. He says, inasmuch as you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. Now, I have pictures of Jesus in my office. I keep them from being in here because we really don't know what Jesus looks like. So they're artist imaginations, okay? I respect artist imaginations, but we don't use that for worship. Can I get an amen? Why do we not know what Jesus looks like? Because he wants us to see him in the needs around us. When I go visit someone in jail, sometimes I greet them, especially if they're covered with shame, I greet them with the words, hello, Jesus. <laughs> I'm visiting them. And we start off on that foot, a foot of mercy. So helping those in need show our love for God because he takes, he takes how we treat them personal. You know, if someone mistreats your child, it hurts, right? If we neglect. Those he loves, we are his arm and feet, who's part of the body of Christ. If we do not serve in that role, it hurts the master. Helping the needy shows God's love for them. If we want the world to know God loves them, we've got to be, go beyond just telling, but shelling, showing. This is part of what pure religion is. In Psalm 65, it says that God is a father to the fatherless. A defender of widows is God in his holy dwelling. If we want to serve God, if we've ever said, I surrender all, if we ever said, Lord, use me, there are opportunities all around us every day to make a difference. Next verse, 27. Pure and undefiled religion before God is this, to visit the widows and orphans and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Who knows, the world will will try to get you dirty. Severing, not savoring, there is a difference. Severing, worldly influence, pleases the Lord. I don't care what the latest and greatest thing is. If it is ungodly, I don't want it in my life. We do not need it in our life. Severing, not savoring, worldly influence keeps us purified. John, his first letter, wrote, chapter 2, verse 15, Love not the world, neither the things that are of the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him or her. Is he talking about this planet? Because I kind of like Texas, don't you? Maybe not so much today. He's talking about the culture of the world that is counter to the kingdom of God. We're to love the people, but not that culture that wants to come in and confuse our identities and get us addicted and, well, yada, yada, yada. You, you know, you know, If we have the love of the Father, we will hate what He hates and love what He loves. Many times, the people we help are suffering because of the wickedness that is in the world that we're not to be in love with. Hollywood is not Hollywood. Can I get an amen? Verse 1 of chapter 2, the book of James. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. Prejudice, favoritism doesn't have a place, should not have a place in our life. Living our faith leaves no room for prejudice, none. Now, this wasn't planned. When I preach through a book, I do not know what's on the calendar. I know Mother's Day, Father's Day, things like that, but I didn't know today was going to be Martin Luther King pre-Eve, Eve Martin Luther King Day Eve, but it's timely any day of the year. Our faith is based on truth. And the truth is, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. So that means my prejudice has got to go. And I've got to view people who are in the kingdom of God differently than the way I did before I was in the kingdom. Who can say all things are new? Living our faith leaves no room for favoritism. Now, obviously, we, we care for our children when they're small, but when they grow up and leave home, they've got to make their own way, right? In the church and in our lives, we have to be careful in in that we need to value everyone equally. Now, everyone has a different calling, right? Everyone has a unique function. And we don't cast our pearls before swine, so you don't let just anyone babysit your kids. But when it comes to helping hurting people, you help more than just the pretty people. I'm not preaching to pastors today so I'm not going to go where I was going to go. But uh, it's popular now if you have a church to favor the pretty people and let those that you don't think it's all pretty is all based on culture. Did you know that? In certain countries if you shake the ground when you walk you are absolutely gorgeous. So according to our culture we've got to watch out for that that favoritism. Everyone has a soul, a spirit, and a body, and they are valued in the kingdom of God. Jesus loves them, and they need to be raised up and used mightily for His glory. Think of some leaders in the body of Christ that you highly respect and look at them. Some of them are not very pretty. Some are wall-eyed, and some are gotch eyed and others, but God is using them mightily. Why? God's not a respecter of persons. Job was attacked by three friends, and when the fourth one showed up, he attempted to give more glory to God than the others had been, and speaking of God, he said, He is not partial to princes, nor does he regard the rich more than the poor, for they are all the work of God. So we're talking about being more godly or godlike. We're talking about being impartial, unprejudiced, loving everyone. Here's a big sentence. Verse 2 of James 2. For if there should come in your assembly or synagogue, or today we could say church, a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, And you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, You sit here in a good place, and say to the poor man, You stand there, or You can sit here at my feet, sit at my footstool, rather than take my seat. You know, some churches you'll be asked to move because you're sitting in somebody's seat. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves? and become judges? Showing partiality requires judgmentalism. The word judging gets overused, right? Don't judge me. I had to help a mother and her single daughter one night with a flat tire. Basically, it resulted in getting that vehicle to a safe place and then driving them home. And when I drove into their subdivision, there sat the husband in his car at the entrance to the subdivision on his phone. So after I got them off, I came back by and got in his vehicle and said, dude, what's going on? What are you talking about? I said, you're one of the hardest working men I know. Why wouldn't you help your family? He said, you're judging me, trying to brush me off. I wasn't judging him. I was confronting him on something that was a concern to me. What was happening? Well, turns out later divorce was in process. He had a girlfriend. Anyway, so not going there, but hiding behind you're judging me doesn't justify evil, right? And there were consequences that he experienced for But there is a place for judging rightly. As I said earlier, you don't cast your pearls before swine, something precious to you. You determine what to do with it with wise judgment. But you don't condemn people. You're not harsh in your judgments anyway. And somebody coming in just because of his appearance, you look down on him. You do not know who that person is. You have no idea. There's a church in North Houston named Champions Community Church. This is a true story. I know this pastor personally. He had three sons. The oldest son died of a drug overdose. And their church had built a nice building and had a huge mortgage. The pastor got so discouraged, he stopped preaching that often and let his middle son begin to do the speaking, who became a phenomenal speaker. So their, their church had two services, and their church is getting smaller and smaller. And the, so the pastor made himself preach the, the 9 o'clock service. And then the son, the now oldest son, since the older son had passed, was doing the preaching in the second service. And one day, after one of the services where the, father, the pastor wasn't present, a man in jeans and a t-shirt came up to the pastor's wife, whom I have known since she was a teenager, and said, where is pastor so-and-so? I miss him. She said, well, he just can't stop grieving over the passing of our son. It has really done a number on him. And this mortgage is so huge we do not know how we're going to make it. He said, can he be at the office tomorrow? And He gave a time. She said, yes, I'll make sure he's there. He came in with, I don't know if it was a check or checks, but he gave an offering. And they all cashed a $4,444,444.44. They paid off everything. It was a a steep mortgage. I don't remember how much it was. And then had money to spare. And the cloud lifted off of the pastor. So you don't know who people are. You could be disrespecting the greatest blessing in your life you've ever known. That person could be a resource to you. And some guy who's all dressed up fine, got a great-looking car, you don't know the truth. Maybe he's renting his rims and renting the tux that he's wearing, putting on odds. Back in the days that this was written, people would rent jewelry to look good. Remember the choosing of King David? Samuel just knew one of the older boys was it. The Lord revealed to him, he looks at the heart. Not a man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And that sweaty kid came in from the sheep field, was the one God wanted, not the one Samuel would have chosen. So, let's apply this personally. Don't discount yourself because you're a sweaty kid who smells like the sheep field. God can use you mightily. Can I get an amen? Jesus said in John 7, 24, do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. There's a place for judging, but it must be righteous. It must be godlike. When we judge, we judge the book by its cover. It's just true. If the cover sucks, the sales are down. The recording could be the greatest recording in the world, but the artwork just caused it to fail because man does judge according to the outward appearance. For if there should come in your assembly, your synagogue, a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place. And say to the poor man, you stand there or sit in here in my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Showing partiality requires evil thinking. It just does. It's ungodly. It's cruel. It's mean. I grew up in a denomination that really made the members dress up. Or church, and I believe in honoring God, but it was so bad to the point of people not being able to afford to go to church because they don't have a necktie. Or newcomers getting bombarded with used clothes. A friend of mine just started attending a church, starting to fit in, and women started bringing her clothes in. It offended her, and she quit going. What? I know that bunch. It was the same denomination. They judge by the outward appearance. And they'll quote, You shall know them by their fruits. The outward appearance is not your fruits, your good works are your fruits. Behold, I know your thoughts. This is what Job said to his accusers. I know your thoughts and the devices which you wrongfully imagine against me. Those evil guys just accused him left and right of all kinds of things he was innocent of. We live in this kind of day and time. Let me just touch on politics a little bit. Politics is all about the outward appearance. The photo ops. How will I look with so-and-so? I won't look good with you so I can't be around you. Why? Why do they operate that way? Because people will throw them into their basket of deplorables, guilt by association. I saw you speaking to him. You're one of those. Someone ever called me a rhino, I'll call them a buffalo. (laughs) Listen, my beloved brethren. Verse 5, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him. Today we get to experience, because one of our units isn't running, what poor saints feel like in third world countries where it gets cold. But they are rich in faith. Rich Thinking less of others forgets who they are. They're our brothers and sisters. Why am I thinking less of this guy because of the way he looks? Blessed are you who are poor, Jesus said in Luke 6.20. Matthew, he says, the poor in spirit. Luke, he says, the poor. For yours is the kingdom of God. That poor person is a citizen of the kingdom of God. Thinking less of others forgets whose they are. That's God's child. Well, they're an unbeliever. Well, they may be an unbeliever, but you know what? They can become a believer if we love them. Treating unbelievers like this will never win them. Well, she's a witch doctor. Witch doctors need love too. Thinking less of others forgets who we are. We didn't always have it going on. Don't forget the hole out of which you were dug. Don't forget the miry clay I was trapped in. Paul wrote this. This is not a flattering verse, but it's right there in his first chapter to his first letter to the Corinthians, verse 26. Consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, Not many, doesn't say not any, just not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things that are strong. Verse 28, and the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen, the things that are not, so that he might nullify the things that are. What is he talking about? He's talking about how God operates. He doesn't operate like we operate. And most of the people in his kingdom may not have had sense to get in out of the rain without his help. So don't flatter yourself. Remember who we are. God had mercy on me. Maybe you're part of the many, but I was part of the not many. Not many, not many not many. That was me. Thinking less of others forgets whose we are. We're our father's son and daughter. We're called to a higher walk than the world does. I met a pastor from Indianapolis who had someone with some impairments. Not politically correct to say retarded anymore, but this person had some some issues of relating to the common person in the world. And he was walking with some dignified pastors in the city, and this member of his church came up to him and greeted him. How you doing, brother? Hey! In a silly way. And he greeted her warmly, and his Accomplices, his contacts, his acquaintances in the ministry laughed and chuckled. Oh, she's a member of your church. He said, yes, apparently she wasn't welcome at yours. They knew he was right. Thinking less of others forgets who God is. He is the creator and father of us all. And his son came and gave his life for the world. Whosoever will call upon his name can be saved. Whosoever surely meaneth me. Whosoever surely meaneth thee. Remember that song? Whosoever surely meaneth me. Surely meaneth me. Oh, surely meaneth me. Whosoever surely meaneth me. Whosoever meaneth me, whosoever surely meaneth thee, surely meaneth thee. All right, I won't torture you anymore. In John's first letter, chapter 4, verse 20, he said, If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he's a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Thinking less of others forgets who God is. That person (coughs) you're tempted to disdain, despise, and distance yourself from is made in the image of God. If you're here and you're pretty and you know you're pretty, remember this. You haven't always been pretty. If we have to go back into your mama's womb, you are pretty in there. And if you live to be a 100, you will not be pretty. Apologies to all the centenarians in the house. All babies are pretty, though. Oh, all babies are beautiful. Martin Luther King, we cannot let the day pass without mentioning something he said. He said, love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. In our day and time, the powers that be are trying to hijack his hard work and further ridiculousness in the culture. Meanwhile, his dream hasn't fully been accomplished. He dreamed for little boys and girls to walk hand in hand in peace regardless of their race, not for little boys and girls to be confused whether or not they're a boy or a girl. Oh, yes, I did go there. That is foolishness being put on our kids. Your kid's little. They don't know who they are. Did you hear about the six-year-old that came home from school and said, I have homework to do. I have to answer two questions. I have to answer... Who am I and what is my pronoun? It's a joke. Calm down. He said, I am a member of the Jones family and my pronoun is cowboy. How about them cowboys? There's any prejudice in your heart? Repent. I really did not think the problem in our world is racial as much as it is cultural. I was an innocent kid, dumb as a box of nails, 13 years old. I was weird. I did not fit in with this culture. I had been four years in West Africa, grew up with African kids, learned to say my ABCs backwards from African kids, Uh, learned a lot of neat things from them that I still relate but I could not relate to African-American kids. I was overly familiar. My first week of school in the eighth grade, I was running for my life from two big girls, eighth graders. And that's when I realized it's really not race, it's culture. And I am uh, insensitive to these girls' culture, and I have done something unacceptable culturally. So did I develop prejudice? No, I just sought out to understand culture. I'd been in another culture, and now I wasn't fitting in with a white culture either. (laughs) I ran for my life from some white kids too. Lord, give me that old-time religion that makes me love everybody. Makes me love everybody. Makes me love everybody. It's good enough for me. Give me that old-time religion. Let's sing it. Give me that. Old time religion, give me that. Old time religion, it's good enough for me. It was good for mom and daddy. It was good for mom and daddy. It was good for mom and daddy. It's good enough for me. All right, I won't, you could go on for hundreds of verses, right? But let's just do this one. It makes me love everybody. Makes me love everybody. Makes me love everybody. It's good enough for me. When I say old-time religion, I'm not saying going back to the 50s. I'm saying going back to the first century, where the early church was learning to love everyone. And they needed correction. This is why these letters are there for them, and they relate to us too. Let's pray as the praise team comes forward and leads us in another song. Lord, we thank you for your word help us to purify our religion. Whether we say we're religious or not, we are. Everybody is. Help us, Lord, to walk in alignment with your word for our lives and not to deceive ourselves by our religion. In Jesus' name, everybody said want anyone here to be ashamed of their ethnicity. This sermon isn't to correct you as some churches might need to be corrected for being racist or culturally elite, but to remind us of what is important because it is possible to be religious and be deceived. The first week we were in Zimbabwe, then known as Rhodesia, we were hosted at the headquarters church for the denomination we are part of in Bulawayo, Zimbabwe. Still there, beautiful red brick building. That was the white church. And then there were other ethnicities of churches, colored and African. And they were impacting the community for their deal, but they were segregated. They just aligned themselves, the missionary aligned themselves with the culture, the world, and that first week we were there, we spent time there in that church, and they had a banquet. The entertainment, the music for the banquet, it was all Christian music, was a family, the Bismarck family. Have you heard of Tudor Bismarck? He was the oldest kid in this family. They sang to us, ministered to us. It was awesome. But when it's time to eat, they had to go eat in the kitchen and not dine at the table with the white folks segregated. It's not that way there now. But they were totally blind to it. It was normal to them. Talking in tongues, worshiping the Lord. Meanwhile, evil thinking had its root in their life. Lord, I pray right now, if any of us have any roots of evil thinking, where we've looked down on others that have problems, something to stay away from, not to get our hands dirty with. I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, you would convict us, that you would purify our minds and our hearts, that we really would love everybody and be willing to get our hands dirty in helping those who are hurting. In Jesus' name, amen. The body of Christ in America has too much of a herd mentality. How do we build the herd? How we build the herd? That's ranching. That's not shepherding. Could be sheep ranching, but shepherds deal with each individual sheep. And so we are a church of sheep who are becoming shepherds because as individuals, there's individuals we need to reach out to and serve and help, and they may not look that pleasing. God give you wisdom. Follow the Spirit in this thing, but make sure no evil thinking is in operation. Can I get an amen? Because his name is worthy. He is worthy. Lord, you're worthy of it all. May the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. That shalom peace. The wholeness that comes from conquest and not compromise. In Jesus' name, everybody said, go get them, tigers. Worthy is your name.